So turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and yes, we're still in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And as you're making your way there in your Bibles, let me read some words to you from the late Dr. S. Lewis Johnson that will explain why we are still in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. S. Lewis Johnson, if you do not know him, was the founding pastor of Believer's Chapel in Dallas, Texas. He planted that church in 1962 and pastored it for over 30 years. Dr. Johnson also taught New Testament and systematic theology at Dallas Theological Seminary for 27 years, as well as... He served as professor of biblical and systematic theology at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. So he was a busy man. Well, here's what S. Lewis Johnson said about 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He said, this passage is about the glory of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, centering in the cross of Jesus Christ. So the passage is a passage of importance. It's a passage of pregnant thought. It's a passage of difficulty. But at the same time, it's a passage of tremendous significance for us. I think it's hard to find a more significant theological chapter in Paul's writings than in this one. Now think about that. If Dr. Johnson is right, and I think he is... We are smack dab in the middle of the most significant theological chapter of all of the Apostle Paul's writings. And that's why we've been taking our time and just moseying our way through it. So let me just kind of paraphrase what I think Paul is saying to the Corinthians in these verses to kind of put it in common vernacular for us, if you will. I think Paul's saying, cry uncle... So you can cry, Father. Cry, Uncle. Like, you're just giving up. Uncle, I quit. I'm, I'm giving up my sinfulness. I'm giving up my self-centeredness. I'm repenting so that I can cry, Father. That's what Paul will do in our verses today. He's calling this church back to the gospel. He wants them to forsake the lies of the super apostles and be reconciled once again with Jesus. He's calling them to repentance. But Paul will motivate them to repent not with fear, not with threats, not with y'all better better get in line or Jesus is going to get you. No. He motivates them to repent with the gospel. I think Paul would agree with Tim Keller who said this, in fear-based repentance, we don't learn to hate the sin for itself and it doesn't lose its attractive power. We learn only to refrain from it for our own sake. But when we rejoice over God's sacrificial suffering love for us, seeing what it cost him to save us from sin, we learn to hate the sin for what it is. We see what the sin costs God. What most assures us of God's unconditional love, Jesus' costly death, is what most convicts us of the evil of sin. Fear-based repentance makes us hate ourselves. Joy-based repentance makes us hate the sin. And in 2 Corinthians 5, 
Paul wants the Corinthian church to see the unconditional love of God at the cross so that they repent and reconcile with Jesus. He wants them to have a joy-based repentance that is rooted in God's unconditional love at the cross so that they hate their sin. In short, Paul wants them to see their sin and cry, Uncle, so that they can cry, Father, Heavenly Father. And that's what the Holy Spirit wants and intends for us today as we look at his word. The Holy Spirit longs to help us cry, Uncle, as we are exposed by God's law so that we can cry, Abba, Father. To cry, Uncle, and give up our self-centered ways so that we can cry, Father. So 2 Corinthians 5, beginning in verse 18, hear the word of the Lord. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. All this is from God. What a great way to start a sentence. What hope. Those five words in English, six words in Greek... Those five words should just cause your mouth to drop open, to be stunned and amazed and speechless and dumbstruck and dumbfounded. Those five words should be nudging your heart to repentance right now. Those five words, all this is from God. Those five words can take you by the hand and lead you home to your heavenly Father. Everything that we have in Christ is from God. The fact that, as we saw last week, we are new creatures in Christ is from God. It's a gift. He did it all. He gave us eternal life. He reconciled us to himself. He came after us, seeking us out when we were running from him, stiff-arming him, wanting nothing to do with him. All that we have is from God. Let that humble you and let it begin nudging you closer to Jesus this morning. He reconciled us to himself. I mean, who does that? Who seeks out their enemies? I'm looking for my enemies. Do you know where they are? Not because I want to get them, but because I want to give to them. Who seeks out their enemies and then invites them into their home and says, all that I have, I give to you. Everything here is yours. Welcome home, son. That means that reconciliation is not our idea. We didn't come up with this idea. Reconciliation is not our willingness to have God, but God's willingness to have us. So God is more willing to reconcile with us than we are to reconcile with him. He is more willing to forgive us than we are to seek his forgiveness. Think about that. He, is, he woke up this morning far more willing to forgive you of your sins than you woke up wanting to be forgiven by him. That's amazing. The God of the Bible desires to reconcile with his enemies and he made the first move, and he always makes the first move toward us. He's just like that. That's just who he is. And Palm Sunday is proof of that. Palm Sunday 
is Jesus riding on a donkey on his way to reconcile with us at the cross. But please understand that God did not need to reconcile with us. We needed to reconcile with him. Don't switch those around. Reconciliation is not something that we do. Reconciliation is something that God has accomplished on our behalf in Christ. Even the ministry of reconciliation that God has given to us, that Paul talks about here in verse 18, it is not uh, telling people to reconcile with God. The ministry of reconciliation is not telling other people, make peace with God, you filthy animals. It's Instead, it's be reconciled to God. God has made peace with you. Will you respond? Will you receive it? The gospel, the good news is God offers amnesty to rebels. Will you receive it? So we are not called to make peace with God. God is the one who makes peace with us, even though we should be the ones who have tried to initiate peace with God. And God does it through the cross. We could never make peace with God on our own because we are sinners. Only Jesus did what was possible to make peace with God. He lived a perfect life and died a perfect death on our behalf. So on our own, we could never do anything that would make God be at peace with us. Because our sin is so heinous against an infinitely glorious God. There is no way we could come and say, here's what I have to offer, and God would say, great, I'm at peace with you now. Only Jesus could do that. His perfect life, his perfect death. And the reason why is because we have offended God infinitely. It took Jesus, the Son of God, the God-man, to make peace with God on our behalf On the cross. Now, of course, we should have been the ones who initiated reconciliation with God because we are the ones who have offended Him. We are the offending party, but God, the offended party, initiated reconciliation, initiated peace with us. And this wonderful news of reconciliation that God made the first move is so wonderful to Paul. He just repeats himself in verse 19. Now you know why I repeat myself all the time in my sermons. Like he keeps saying the same thing over and over throughout the whole sermon. Yeah, I learned it from Paul. Look at verse 19. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So this God made the first move in reconciliation business is so mind-blowing to Paul that he has to repeat it again. Paul says, I think I'll repeat that. That's good. God reconciled us in Christ. God gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And at the heart of what Paul repeats two times is this mind-blowing truth tucked away in the middle of verse 19 where Paul says this about God, not counting their trespasses against them. Not counting our sins against us. That is the heartbeat of reconciliation. That's how we are able to be at peace with God. Because God gave his whole being, as it were, in the person of Jesus at the cross. He gave his whole heart, if you will, 
to reconcile us. And because of Jesus, because of what he has done, God doesn't count our sins against us. Ed Welch says, The gospel is the story of God covering his naked enemies, bringing them to the wedding feast, and then marrying them rather than crushing them. He has covered you with righteous robes. He has removed your shame. That's what reconciliation with God looks like. He covers our nakedness. He invites us and then brings us to a wedding feast and marries us when he should have crushed us. We have offended him and we deserve to be crushed. But in grace, he covers us with his righteous robes and removes our shame. That is God reconciling us to himself not counting our sins against us, but instead placing them on his own son, Jesus. And that means that all we can do is come empty-handed. It's captured in that classic hymn, Rock of Ages. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, look to thee for grace. Vile, I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Reconciliation is coming to God with nothing, really with nothing but your sin. It's coming empty-handed, no works, no, look, I've been pretty good. I'm not as bad as that guy. It's coming with nothing. Listen, reconciliation isn't a potluck that we've been invited to by God. It's a wedding. We don't bring anything. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Reconciliation is a wedding that God caters. It's not a potluck. I mean, who brings a dish to a wedding? Who has a wedding and said, it's a potluck, everybody brings something. If you did that, I'm sorry. I wasn't thinking of you. <laughs> Typically, people don't say, hey, come to our wedding, and it's a potluck, by the way, okay? No one does that. That would be weird, unless you did it, and that's okay. <laughs> and the same works with God. He has invited us to a wedding, not to a potluck, to bring stuff to him, to try to impress him. We just show up with the wedding invitation in hand, that says, God is reconciling the world to himself and you're invited. God isn't counting your many sins against you and you're invited. P.S. All this is from God. All you do is show up with the wedding invitation in hand and your sin in the other. That's how reconciliation works. You cry, uncle, uncle, so that you can cry, father. Reconciliation is God calling us home. It's his heart moving out to us. Look at verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So Paul's just a messenger for God. He's just a FedEx driver delivering wedding invitations. That's the ministry of reconciliation, delivering wedding invitations and telling people to be reconciled to God. As Paul says, he's an ambassador. 
He represents God, and through this letter, through the letter of 2 Corinthians, he's calling this church to repentance. He's calling them to be reconciled with God. He's calling them to forsake the super apostles who were telling the Corinthians that they had to earn their way into God's favor and love through obedience to the Mosaic law. It was works righteousness. And so in verse 20, Paul is doing what he said in verses 18 and 19. In verse 20, Paul is doing the ministry of reconciliation that he said God gave to him. There he said, God has reconciled us and gave the ministry of reconciliation. And now Paul is being an ambassador for Christ, calling this church back to God. Paul is doing the ministry of reconciliation with the letter of 2 Corinthians. He's doing the ministry of reconciliation right here in verse 20. Paul's heart goes out to this church that he planted, this church that he loves, and he's imploring them to be reconciled to God. But it's not ultimately Paul's heart on display here. Underneath it all, underneath Paul's imploring, underneath the ink on the parchment that Paul is writing to this church, underneath it, it's really God imploring, imploring this church, God imploring his people to come home. And so this is God's heart on display in verse 20. Yes, Paul is an ambassador for Christ. Yes, he's imploring the Corinthians to be reconciled to God. But underneath all of Paul's admonitions, it's Jesus doing the imploring. It's the heart of God calling his people home. It's the Father of mercies and God of all comfort reaching out and pursuing his people through Paul and company. It's God saying, be reconciled to me. I won't count your sins against you. The verb that Paul uses here, be reconciled in verse 20, is in the passive voice and may be what scholars call the divine passive, meaning God is the one who is doing all of the reconciling. Be reconciled to God by God. That means reconciliation is a gift that we receive from God with the empty hands of faith. We are reconciled to him by him. But we still have a part to play. We must receive this free offer. We must respond to the peace treaty that he offers to us. But Paul is also showing us in verse 20 that reconciliation with God is both one, a one-time event when we come to Christ, but it's also, secondly, a lifelong process. We're reconciled to God by the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit regenerates us at the moment of our salvation. But because we still sin, we are always being reconciled with God, if you will, meaning we are always repenting and coming back to our senses and returning to God. And I think that's the heart of what Paul is saying here. He's saying, hey, y'all, repent and come back to your senses and return to God. Yes, we are in Christ. That's secure, as we saw last week. That doesn't change at all. But we need daily cleansing from our sin, don't we? And I think that's Paul. what Paul is getting at here. He's writing to this church, 
the majority of whom have placed their faith in Christ. And he's saying, be reconciled to God, meaning come back home to your first love. Repent. John Calvin, just in case you think I'm crazy, at least John Calvin agrees with me. So I love John Calvin. I haven't invited him into my heart, but I do love him. And the great reformer said this. He said, because we sin every day, therefore we must be reconciled every day. Here's how he said it. It is to be observed that, he's commenting on this verse, that Paul is here addressing himself to believers. He declares that he brings to them every day this embassy. Christ, therefore, did not suffer merely that he might once expiate our sins, nor was the gospel appointed merely with a view to the pardon of those sins which we committed previously to baptism, but that as we daily sin, so we might also by a daily remission be received by God into his favor. For this is a continued embassy which must be assiduously sounded forth in the church till the end of the world, and the gospel cannot be preached unless remission of sins is promised. So Paul's talking about daily repentance here. He's calling this church to come home again to Jesus. He's speaking to believers primarily. There's probably unbelievers in the church, and there's certainly the super apostles who are listening to this letter. They need to be reconciled with God. But primarily, he's talking to this church. And this is why we preach the gospel every week here at Grace. Because number one, there are people here who do not know Jesus they need to repent and be reconciled to God. And then two, there are people here who do know Jesus, most of you. But you need to hear the gospel again. And so do I, so that we can repent of our darling sins that we cherish so much. Even Paul's audience consisted of believers and unbelievers all who were reading this letter were being called to reconciliation with God, some for the first time, to escape the wrath to come, and others in the sense that they needed daily repentance. They needed to forsake works righteousness, which was being peddled by the super apostles. And really, you have to keep reading. We're going to look at, Lord willing, verse 21 next week, and then we'll get into chapter 6. But you really need to keep reading the whole train of thought here to get what Paul is saying. The paragraph divisions don't do us any favors, but you have to keep reading to understand what Paul is saying. So look at verse 20 again, and we're going to read, read a couple verses down the line here. He says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And he's going to use the gospel now to motivate them to be reconciled. It's kind of sandwiched in here. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. So Paul has been given the ministry of reconciliation and now he says a second time that he's working with God, working together with him to call the Corinthians back home. If they refuse to leave their love affair with the super apostles and they refuse to give up this works righteousness, then Paul says, you will have received the grace of God in vain. That's the context here, calling them back to Jesus. 
So Paul is calling them to reconcile with God, meaning to break ties with the super apostles. He's calling on them to be reconciled with God, not the way sinners do when they first trust in Christ, but to repent, to come to their senses again and be received by God. So Paul is just doing what the prophets in the Old Testament do all the time. They're always calling the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah back to Yahweh. That's the, they had a ministry of reconciliation, if you will, back then. So this ministry of reconciliation is not new in that sense because the prophets of the Old Testament were always calling God's people back to reconcile, to repentance, to be restored. So Paul's just doing what Isaiah has always done. In fact, Paul will quote Isaiah in verse 2 of chapter 6 to make his point and say, I'm doing exactly what Isaiah was doing. Today is the day of salvation. Repent and be reconciled and come back home. This ministry of reconciliation is just what the Old Testament prophets did. Calling people back to the very willing and very welcoming heart of God. And the good news is that God is always willing to receive us again and again and again. Right here, right now, Jesus is willing to love on you on your very worst day. The willingness of Jesus was there before your salvation and after. So let me ask you this morning, where do you need to reconcile with God? In your life, in your heart, what darling sins do you need to repent of and kick to the curb today? What precious idol do you need to smash to pieces? Listen, Jesus is willing to meet with you today right now with no shame in order to forgive you and cleanse you and empower you by his Holy Spirit to forsake your darling sins and your precious idols so that you can find your joy in him. To forsake your works righteousness and just receive his free grace. To really believe that Jesus paid it all. To say, okay, I don't have to do anything. Just receive the gift with the empty hands of faith. I don't need to bring a dish to the potluck. No, it's not a potluck. You don't bring a dish. You just show up to the wedding to rest, to relax, to really trust that Jesus paid it all. So why not repent? Why not return to the Lord again today? He's waiting with arms wide open to receive you, and he promises to usher in seasons of refreshment. That's what's so incredible about God. He doesn't welcome us home and then say, okay, now you're in timeout. Go stand in the corner. He doesn't welcome us home and then put us on probation. When we return, he says, I'll usher in seasons of refreshment. Peter said this once in a sermon in Acts 3. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. From the Lord, that's the willing heart of God to refresh us. We are the ones who are resistant. We are the ones who are stubborn. He's saying, I want to refresh you. I want to renew you. Will you come? And we're like, eh, I really like the pig slop. We're like the younger brother in the parable. I like it here in the mud with the pigs. And he's out looking for us every day. 
Without repentance, there can be no reconciliation. There can be no times of refreshing from the Lord. But if we're willing to humble ourselves and repent and reconcile with God again, he promises to usher in times of refreshing. Who wants that? Who here needs some refreshing? I know I do. Who wants sin? Who wants to sign up for some times of refreshing? We're not going to have a sign-up sheet at the Welcome Centers, but who wants in? Who wants to sign up? Remember, it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance, which then ushers in seasons of refreshment. Listen, Jesus cannot resist a repentant heart. He can't stay away from humble, repentant sinners who want to reconcile and come clean with them. And say, I don't want to do this anymore. It's why he's speaking through Paul and calling the Corinthians back home, calling them to be reconciled with God again. God wants the Corinthians to fess up to their sin and come clean and come home. He wants them to fall down and fess up. Fall down to their knees and fess up to their sin. That's what God is looking for. Fall down and fess up. Cry, uncle, so you can cry, father. And listen, when we do this, when we fall down on our knees and fess up to our sins, guess what? God's heart explodes with joy. God loves to hear a person cry out in heartbroken honesty, Lord, I am nothing but a poor sinner. I've been foolish. I've been an idiot. I've run from you and sought satisfaction elsewhere. I just want to come home now. God's heart explodes with joy when you say that. Do you need to come home today? Do you need to be reconciled, if you will, once again to God? Let me nudge you home with the gospel in verse 19. Not counting their trespasses against them. That's a present tense participle in the Greek language. It tells us that God continuously releases us from our guilt and shame, that he continuously cleanses us. So God is in the business of responding to our repeated cries of repentance. He continually offers forgiveness and cleansing, and he offers it to you today with a willing heart, not a crabby heart, not as a grouch. God isn't crabbily offering you forgiveness. Okay, whatever, man. He's not a grouch about it again. Ugh. No, his heart is exploding with joy when you come and say, I just want to start over. Can I just, I said that yesterday, God, I just want to, I was putting my socks on. I just want to start over with you, can I? The present tense participle of not counting their sins against them is an invitation from the willing and welcoming heart of God to cry uncle so that you can cry father. Gospel repentance Gospel reconciliation with God, which is what Paul is calling the Corinthian church to do. It's a perpetual crying, perpetually crying uncle so that we might cry father all the louder. That's the ministry of reconciliation. That's being an ambassador for Christ. The reconciliation that Paul has in mind here is a coming to the end of ourselves once again, day after day, even all day throughout the day, so that we might come more alive to God. Through our repentance, through our reconciling with God once again, he intends to usher in times of refreshing and renewal for us and not seasons of shame. How often we live in seasons of shame. 
Listen, Jesus loves you so much. He brought you here today so that he could speak to you. So let me ask you, what are you hiding this morning? What do you need to bring out into the light? What is deep down in those dark places in your heart where you don't want to go that you need to grab by the collar and drag it out, kicking and screaming and bring it into the light of his grace and confess it and be free. You can get real with the real Jesus today. He won't abandon you when you confess your sins and bring all of your junk into the light. Listen, if God is the one who started, came up with this reconciliation business, why would he abandon you now? If you're his enemy and he's like, I want to reconcile with you, I want to adopt you into my family and bring you home and give you everything I have. If he did that for you in Christ at the moment of your salvation, why would he abandon you now because of your sin? He won't. And Jesus is all the proof that you need. Palm Sunday then is proof that God seeks out sinners, proof that reconciliation is God's idea. Palm Sunday is Jesus riding on a donkey to die for you. So that God can reconcile you with himself. So he's calling you home today. It's a real invitation from the real Jesus this morning. What is holding you back? All that keeps you and me back from renewal and revival and refreshment is our stubbornness. Think about that. Palm Sunday. We're donkeys on Palm Sunday. You realize that? We're the donkeys here. All, it's, 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 it, you get, it's a hard truth to swallow, but all that's keeping us back from revival and refreshment and renewal is our stubbornness. That's what was keeping the Corinthians back. All that keeps churches back from renewal, revival, and seasons of refreshment is our own stubbornness. Let's not be stubborn. Let's take Jesus up on this offer today. What do you say? Here's a verse that you can begin praying for you and your family and for this church as we start things back up again. Let's be praying Psalm 85.6. Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? As we start our ministries back up again, will you not revive us again, Jesus, that we may rejoice in you? If we pray this for our own personal renewal and the renewal of this church, I think God the Father will answer us like this. Revive you? You betcha. You bet I will. I'd love to renew y'all. I'm waiting on you. Let's reconcile. How bad do you want it? How bad do you want renewal and change? Get low before me in humility and bring your heart and let's open it up and start cleaning that garbage and junk out. That's revival. That's renewal. Come desperate. Come sick and tired of your sin And I can work with that. And then you'll rejoice. Do you want renewal? Do you want refreshment, revival? The way there is through repentance and reconciliation. And God is willing. Are you? Are we? That's why this is the most significant theological chapter in Paul's letters. Because we see God's magnificent love for us at the cross and how we are now accepted in the Beloved. The cross is how we're reconciled with God. And it doesn't matter how many times we fail, how many times we run away from him, we always come back to the cross. We come back to the cross to be reminded once again of God's magnificent love for us. 
And listen, if you're here today and you have not placed your trust in Jesus, see the incredible love that God has shown for you in the death of his one and only son and come bow your knees before him. Fall down and fess up and cry uncle so that you can cry father and to be welcomed into his family. Why would you close your heart to someone who loves you so much? Why would you close your heart to the God who loves you so much that he's willing to be reconciled? Wouldn't it be great if you belonged to such a kind, gentle, merciful God? I think so. Why don't you cry uncle so you can cry father? Let's pray. Father, we do cry, Uncle, and admit our sin this morning and how easily distracted we are, how we pursue other things. And Father, I I just confess how stubborn I am. I want revival and renewal and refreshment, but I don't want to give up my darling sins. So would you help me too? Would you help us too? Thank you for not counting our trespasses and our sins against us. Thank you for counting them to Jesus on the cross and clothing us with robes of righteousness. Thank you that your son paid it all. We couldn't pay it. We still try to pay it. But would you help us to rest today and to celebrate that Jesus did it all for us? What a kind, welcoming, and willing God you are. We're the donkeys. We're the stubborn ones, Lord. And we pray that the gospel would be like a magnet and draw us home this morning. Would you do that for us and for your glory in Jesus' name? Amen.